that you would make us by your spirit through your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If we could just let those guys know how much we appreciate them leading us in worship this morning. And while you're turning to Philippians chapter 2, I would love for us just to... Uh, if you visited last week and you read on the interweb that our church starts at 10.30, you showed up and the building was empty and you thought, man, I have just increased the population of this place dramatically. And we were actually uh, con- we were participating in what's called Servolution, uh, where we partner with other churches in the area to serve our community. And uh, Jen Roberts, who's one of our members on our missions team, she worked really hard to organize that in the midst of... What is the year 2021 and what was the year 2020? So I would love for us to let her know how much we appreciate her hard work with Servolution. If you did not participate in Servolution, I've got a few chores around my home. Feel free to come by later. Take your Bibles. We're opening those to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to talk about what it means for us to see Jesus in this passage and for us to see how God works here. Philippians 2, if you're in your Bible, I'm going to read from verse 1. Uh, This is the Christian Standard Bible. It reads this, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Having the same love, united in the same spirit, intent on one's purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God has highly exalted him. And God has given him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The life of Christ is not about him declining deity. It's about him declaring it. And everything that takes place in this text is moving us toward that declaration. We see the truths of the passage and they work like this. He is God. He takes on humanity. making He becomes a human. And not just any human. He becomes the lowest human. When we read through Philippians chapter 2. And really the entirety of the book. We see there's something taking place in the church. Now if you're unfamiliar with the Bible. And the, the books of the Bible that Paul wrote in particular. He's usually de- dealing with churches. And he's usually dealing with people being doofuses. Over and over Paul deals with people who are uh, misbehaving. Who are not uh, acting in a way that lines up with the message of Jesus. And lots of times you'll notice that he has not so gentle rebukes. The book of Philippians doesn't have a lot of that. It doesn't have a lot of harsh rebukes. It doesn't have a lot of Paul telling people 
that they should do things and that he lets them know how frustrated where he lets him know how frustrated they are with their behavior. The book of Philippians is a letter that Paul writes. It's about his love for this church. But according to the book of Philippians, there is conflict there. There are two ladies in the church, Euodia and Syntyche, didn't pronounce those correctly, and these two ladies have caused a disgruntled mess in the midst of the church. They have their own little factions like the sharks and the jets. And this is causing ripples within everything that happens at Philippi. As with any church, not only Bible churches that we see in the scriptures, but Bible churches that we see in 2021 and Bible churches that may or may not be on Dixie Drive. As with any church, a minor issue can become a major problem. Minor issues can become major problems. So Paul loves this church. He loves everyone in this church. Still, when he begins to look at him, he sees that they are disruptive. And because of this disruption, they are unproductive. And they are sinful, or at the very least, they're on the verge of it. And they're in the midst of this church is this self-centered, unloving, unresolved conflict. And if self you have self-centered, unloving, unresolved conflict in the church, it's never good for that body. It's never good for us to have whispers, for us to have murmurs, for us to have malcontent. Because of this, Paul spends a substantial amount of space emphasizing the importance of unity and love in the Christian church. He emphasizes how significant it is, how necessary it is for us to get beyond our differences to places where we can live with Christ in mind. He is God, after all. He chose to take on humanity and not just any humanity. This Jesus who we worship chose to take on the lowest form of humanity, as we've said. So the passage gives us a, a really a, a good outline. I don't want us to miss this. The first thing that we see is what we should do in verses 2 through 4. And what, or rather, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And what should we do as a church? We, we should unify. Now that would be, if we're not mistaken, the application of the passage. And when they teach you how to preach and they show you how to preach, you are typically taught that you should wrap up your passage with application. That's how you close out. You let the people know, you let yourself know, this is what you should do. But Paul doesn't end with that. He starts there. But because my mind thinks like a 2021 preacher, I'm going to come back to this portion of the text at the end. So we see this. What should we do? We should unify. Write that down. Take a little note. How do we unify? That's a great question for us to ask. The way that we unify is to identify with the person of Jesus. You'll notice we are intentionally using verbs in our breakdown of the text. Why would we want to identify with Jesus? Because in so doing, we glorify the person of Jesus. What should we do? We, we should unify, of course. But how do we unify? It is to find our identity in the person of Jesus. Go with me to verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself. What a major word in the Bible. That he would humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul shows us Jesus humbling himself and the importance of humility. Because any division 
that is present is because there's a monster in our midst. For any of us as followers of Jesus who see division and tension and strife and malcontent and struggle, it's because there's a monster in our midst and that monster is pride. If you walk through the Old Testament and look through much of the New Testament, most of their issues really do come back to the idea of pride. If you want examples, I've got them. Pride takes Lucifer out of heaven. Like from the beginning, old school, Isaiah, odd reading of it. Pride takes Adam out of the garden. When Saul was the king of Israel, pride took Saul out of the kingdom. Pride turns angels into demons. Let's tell those are Bible examples. Pride causes us to lead into responses on the internet with things like, I don't agree with so-and-so on everything but... Pride causes us to whisper. Pride causes us to send the text that we fought in our hearts not to send. Pride causes us to see ourselves in a way that we were never intended to see ourselves. Jesus, who is without sin, models for us the importance of humility because we are a people who are prone to sin, prone to wander prone to walk away from the Lord. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. The word attitude there, this is probably not the best word here. The, The better word, and many translations use it, some of them, is the word mind. There are lots of ways that we can look and we can see these texts and we can preach sermons. But when we begin to look at this passage, it's letting us know that our attitude, not just that we are whatever your attitude is, not just your sassiness or your disgruntledness, but your mind. There are lots of ways for us to see these things. Our goal as followers of Jesus is to look at every text through the lens of Jesus. And every text is impacted, is It displays the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. If we, when we preach sermons, and we, when we live our lives, do not show the cross and resurrection of Jesus as the hope of the world, then what is any of the point? If we are more moral and we don't view morality as falling short of the glory of Jesus, it is pointless. If we are more financially stable and we don't see the resources we have as means by which we may make much of Jesus, then those are pointless. Being God, he also became human. Jesus, who is God, becomes human for our sake. He did not cease to be God, but all of the things that made him God, he walked away from. He he gave those things up. Not completely. We see the transfiguration of Jesus. We see him exalted and elevated. But we do see Jesus not demonstrating his godness in the midst of the world that he lived in at all times. We see it in the miracles... But we don't always see it in the mundane. This idea of him being God, becoming human, is the very antithesis of everything that people innately believe. We see in this text that Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But every single one of us do consider equality with God a thing that we should grasp. We are not in the form of God... Yet in our hearts we believe that by our actions that we are. He used his equality with God as an opportunity to empty himself. Martin Luther 
says this, You have become what you were not, that I might become what I was not. He did not stop being God. The sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is actually the perfect expression of who the true God is. Jesus did not stop being God, and I have not stopped saying that I would like to be. It's almost like when I begin to think about my own life, the numerous things that frustrate me where I'm reminded that I would like to be God. And it goes all the way back to the 80s cartoons, uh, rather, the 80s commercials about the clapper. Does anyone remember the clapper? I thought the clapper was amazing. Now, children, your lives are so simple. Your phones do these things. But when we were kids, we being me, I remember watching commercials on television where they were selling this product where you have lights on in your house. And lights are, are incredibly far away, like 10 to 12 feet. And you have to deal with the light in a certain way. So you have to get up out of bed. You've been watching TV in bed or you've been reading a book in bed. But that light is so far away and your dog can't turn it off. You've got to get out of bed and step into the coldness and turn the light off. But we've been... So they invent this thing called the clapper. And the clapper, well, you would attach to your lights, and when it was time to turn the lights off, you did not have to get out of bed. All you had to do was what? Help me out, friends. And when you clap, clap, the lights go off, and it's snoozeville. That's what happens with the clapper. In my mind, I think the same about almost everything. The clap does not run properly. I want it to run properly. I want to fight against it being futile. I don't want to work. I don't want to think about these things. I don't want to have to step up and go to the grocery store. I've got someone who'll bring them to my trunk. If I pay a little extra, they'll drop them off at my house. If they're not there fast enough, I can fuss at them via the internet. I don't even have to fuss to their face anymore. I want to be able to clap for everything. Think about the flip in the passage. Think about the things that you clap at that you find to be essential that more than likely aren't. We're not God, we want to be. Jesus is God and he let that go. We view equality with God as something that we can have, that we really we deserve. Jesus saw it differently. It says he made himself something so that we may be something. He made himself nothing so that we may be and know something. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, the passage says. Taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Think about what Jesus has just stepped into from Godhood to humanity to the lowest form of humanity. There's a descending thing that takes place in this passage. Seven steps down. Jesus moving from a high place to a low place. You've been frustrated at places before. You've been frustrated at a restaurant where they don't serve you quickly enough. Where they don't take care of you as soon as you want to be taken care of. I know how frustrating that can be because when I'm hungry, I get hangry. And, and much like the cheeseburger that I want to order, hanger is not always healthy. You're waiting for someone to take your order and them not doing it can be miserable. Where are they? Why are they helping those other people? I'm more important than those other people. I walk in first. I've got so many children with me. Can they not just bring a chicken finger to the table? Now imagine if that was your family's Christmas dinner and you had someone who was attempting to serve you. 
Imagine you were at the birthday of, your, uh, of a 95-year-old grandparent. No one giving you the attention that you have believed that you rightfully deserve. Imagine that you're waiting for someone to unlock the facility where your child's first birthday party will be. Not the first birthday party when they're one, because that's for the parents. The one that the kids can remember. Oh, you know that, right? Smash those cupcakes. That's not for the kid. Imagine that you're waiting. Imagine that you're hoping that someone will do for you what you believe they're supposed to do. The Last Supper, Jesus told the disciples that the first shall be last. And they heard that in the, in the head. He sent Peter and John to go get everything ready. They did not have anyone prepared to wash feet, though. That's a big deal. There was no servant who was there. Everyone is stressed out because no one wants to do this foot washing. Everyone would like to stay away from the foot washing. Because if you're a Jewish person, the idea of the foot washing is a filthy job and you cannot command a Jewish man to do so because that's ritual uncleanliness. They're sitting around waiting for someone to do what needs to be done so they can eat. They're hangry. There's no servant there. And Jesus himself gets up and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus taking the form of a servant. Not just a human, but a servant. Not just a servant, but the lowest servant. Jesus descending to the lowest place because of the odd value that he sees in us knowing him. I don't know how valuable something would have to be for me to go into a porta potty and get it. But Jesus descended from the heights of heaven to come after us. And look, I understand that we are filthy wretches before the sovereign God of the universe. But for whatever reason, he has also said you are valuable to him. He loves you. He cares for you. He deeply wants you to know him. He humbles himself and becomes obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Now, look, we've got cross jewelry and cross necklaces. And you've got crosses on your Facebook pages. And we just cross, cross, cross. Criss, cross. Applesauce. Jump, jump. But the cross in Roman society, it's a curse word. You don't talk about crosses. That's the conversation we don't have. We don't go there. We stay away from that. That's a mess. It's probably the reason that we don't see crosses become jewelry for 500 years. It's unspoken. Why would Jesus do that? so that we could identify with Him and glorify Him. John Stott says this. If you read the Bible, you'll see that nobody ever met Jesus. No one who ever met Jesus Christ ever had a moderate reaction to Him. In the Bible, there are only three reactions to Jesus. They either hated him and they wanted to kill him, they were afraid of him and they wanted to run away, or they were absolutely smitten with him and they tried to give their whole lives to him. That doesn't seem to be the way things are in, our, in the year of our Lord 2021. I don't know if I would describe myself as smitten with Jesus. Many days... To be smitten with Jesus, what's that mean? What's it look like? 
to be caught up in the message of Jesus. It's to be caught up in the concerns of Jesus. Only someone who follows Jesus can really be concerned about the physical needs of this world as well as its spiritual needs. Those things come together in the message of Jesus because they come together in the declaration that Jesus makes in becoming the humble servant. So we have this tendency when there is social or political unrest or someone says something we don't agree with where we would just reply offhandedly, well, I don't really care about blank, whatever that blank happens to be. And we divorce ourselves from the perceived needs of our neighbor. And if we are going to divorce ourselves from the perceived needs of our neighbor, that's to divorce ourselves from the promised Messiah who did the following things and spoke of the following things. This Jesus who you have aligned yourself with, not just in the head, in the spiritual realm, but in the physical realm, this Jesus, he's one who brings good news to the poor. He's one who heals the brokenhearted. He's one who frees the prisoners. He proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. This Jesus comforts those who mourn. He gives sight to the blind. That's the Jesus that you say that you worship who became a real man but not just any man a servant man for that reason God highly exalted him and he gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father This is a huge thing in the Bible because Paul has just referenced Isaiah and Isaiah is a Jewish text from a monotheistic perspective where you've got one God and Paul just used the words to talk about that one God, to talk about one Jesus. He echoes what we read in Isaiah 43 where it reads, By myself I have sworn, truth has gone from my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow, every tongue will swear its allegiance to Jesus Christ. It's a declaration of the God. And it's a declaration that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the exact same God. Jesus is God in the flesh. In Philippians, Brother Paul lets us know that God's essential title, Lord, you may see in the Old Testament where the word Lord is capitalized. It's the idea of Yahweh. And it's letting us know that this essential reference to God that we see in the Old Testament Scriptures has become official. And we're declaring that Jesus is that. The the word for exalted there isn't just any kind of exalted, like I'm going to lift this up and exalt it because I would pull a muscle. It's the idea of super exalted. The name of Jesus is above every single name. He's got lots of names in the Bible, this Jesus that we know. Why don't you help me out? List them off. Think about the Christmas songs. What are the names of Jesus that we see in Scripture? This is where we participate. I hear you mumbling. That's okay. Those are our Emmanuel, wonderful, counselor, prince of peace, almighty God, ancient of days, good shepherd, light of the world, the lamb, the bread of life, alpha and the omega. He is called Lord. He is called Yahweh's name. He is called the creator's name, a name that Yahweh does not give to anybody else. So some people like to argue that since we're having knees bow, that some would see this passage leading to what's called universalism. The idea of universalism, if you've never heard the word before, is not really about, you know, Jupiter and Saturn and whatever planets or not planets there are. It's about the idea that all dogs go to heaven. The context is key, and when we read through the entirety of the Scripture, that notion really doesn't fly. It's contradicted throughout. Jesus speaks of those who know Him and those who don't. 
Well, how are we supposed to understand it? Every knee bowing and every tongue confessing. At the end of a sporting event, you'll notice some things happen because people respond similarly. I'm a Tennessee fan. In 1998, which is a long time ago, I mean, really, 1998, the, the Tennessee National Championship is old enough to drink by a couple of years. <laughs> At the end of a big sporting event, when they won their national title, all of my Tennessee fans had their hands in the air. Yes, we just won. But for the last 20-some-odd years, we've had our hands in the air, too. In what's called the Surrender Cobra. If you don't know Surrender Cobra, it works like this. It is when a fan of a certain team has their hands in the air, but, but not like this, like this. And you're just watching as things melt on the field. I've watched enough medieval television and TV shows to know that there are those of us who are going to bow before a king in submission and those of us who will bow before a king in celebration. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are either responding in rebellion or rejoicing. But make no mistake, you are responding. You are responding to the idea that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's shorthand, that phrase. It means that the Messiah who saves is God. When we descend and call Jesus Savior and Lord, we get His name. We are united with that name that is above every single name. And when our hearts ascend to that, we lose sight of what we believe we are supposed to be. We lose sight of who we are supposed to be in Jesus. That is why it's such a rich passage. And this passage is rich. There are people who call this a hymn. I did not put it to any type of music whatsoever or try to beatbox. But you have this huge theological principle that's been expressed... But it's for the purpose of this very application. This huge treatise that Paul has just laid out for us. That we would surrender ourselves and humble ourselves in the way that Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, humbled and surrendered himself. It's for the purpose that we would read 1 through 4 with that in mind. So if anything that has been said today is an encouragement to you about Jesus... If there's any consolation for the love that God has shown you in that he would die for you in the person of Jesus. If you have fellowship in the spirit because of the work of Jesus. If you have affection and mercy because of Jesus. Make my joy complete by thinking the same way like Jesus thought. Having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than you consider yourselves. Everyone should look not only to his own interest, but the interest of others. It's the passage moving our hearts and minds towards living in a way that honors Jesus. So we wrestle with it, and we think about it, and we do it. Like that, that's what believers of Jesus should do. We posture our lives in a way that shows the sacrificial, selfless love of Jesus. And if you're not interested in that, you can sleep a little longer on Sunday mornings. If you're not interested in that, 
Don't worry to read your Bible during the week. Because the goal of Jesus is for us to live in a way that honors Jesus. So choose to honor Jesus. Me, you, all of us. Thinking about our interaction with one another with the name of Jesus in mind. Here's what I would invite us to do this morning. To bow our heads. And I pray that God would convict me of my own sin. Because it's heavy and it's there. Friends, if you need to interact with me, I'm in the back, my right, hand, my right hand, your left hand corner of the room. I would love to pray with you if you need to be prayed with. I would love to pray for you if you need to be prayed for. If your heart's heavy with something that you don't need me, you can talk to the Lord right here. He has made it so that you could know Him. So interact with Him from your chair. Interact with Him from your seat. If you need to pray at the front of the room, feel free to do that. Father, we trust you this morning and we believe that your word is true and your word is good. And Lord, we do believe that this deep theological truth that we see in this passage really does have merit in the way that we live. Lord, if there's strife, grumbling, stumbling, complaining in our midst, if that's in my heart, I pray you'd fix Lord, I pray that I'll see that you want to fix it. I pray that I would celebrate your goodness, Jesus, not just with my words on the stage, but in the way that I treat other people. I pray that our desire would be to do the same. Lord, I thank you that you love our church. I thank you for the, for the hope that you display through your church today. God, let us align ourselves with you. Let us unite in the agreement that we've had, we've been given in you, Jesus. Christ crucified, Christ resurrected as the hope of the world. That truth sets captives free. That, that truth gives sight to the blind. So convict me of my shortcomings and my failures. Convict all of us of the same. We ask it in your powerful name, Lord Jesus.